Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast of excellence. Talking about uh, book 13, chapter 15. Um, what are we saying here? How satisfying is it to read about Kutuzov's dismissive reply to Napoleon's offer of peace? My answer, very satisfying. This chap, that's not my answer, by the way. That's the answer of who wrote that discussion prompt last year. Um, this chapter digresses a bit to discuss an under-celebrated, according to Tolstoy, Russian officer, Dokturov. Tolstoy says that the silence about Dokturov is the most obvious proof of his merit. What, if anything, did you get out of this character sketch? Do you appreciate these digressions, or would you prefer to get to what happens next? Tolstoy is having another dig at historians. Do you think he does this too much? Well, if you think he does it too much, you've got to love the epilogues. You know, an epilogue usually is the worst bit of any book, but it's usually just a chapter. In War and Peace, it's not a chapter. It's it's not even just a book of chapters. It's two books of chapters. It's 20-something chapters. And in all of them, he just has a dig at historians, pretty much. Um, yeah, there wasn't much to this chapter. Kutuzov completely ignored Napoleon, called his bluff. Um, and, yeah, we, we heard about this Doktorov guy who uh, just kind of was instrumental in every bit of the war so far, but without really being um, drawing too much attention to himself. Just a good little cog in the machine doing his part. Twisted Every Way says, Do I think Tolstoy does this too much? Dissing historians. Um, yeah, he's been going off on them for this whole novel. Now we know why he wrote a fictional war epic instead of a non-fiction book about the wars. Um, FDLP1 says, Dokurov is winning the wrong kind of lotteries. As far as the sketch Tolstoy gives, it does seem admirable that rather than just charging ahead, Dorokov recognizes the chance, sorry, recognizes the change to circumstances and advises caution. Yeah. That's the Kudasov way. Watch and be cautious. All right. I'm yawning, so I think I should just read this chapter to you and then let's all move on with our lives for another 24-hour thing. Um, It was... Oh, chapter um, 16. It was a warm, dark autumn night. It had been raining for four days, having changed horses twice and galloped 20 miles in an hour and a half over a sticky, muddy... Road, Bolkovitinov Bolkovitinov reached Litajevka after one o'clock at night, dismounting at a cottage on whose wattle fence hung a signboard, General Staff, and throwing down his reins, he entered a dark passage. The general on duty, quick, it's very important, said he to someone who had risen and was sniffing in the dark passage. He has been very unwell since the evening, and this is the third night he has not slept, said the orderly, pleading in a whisper. You should wake the captain first. 
But this is very important from General Dokturov, said Bolkovitinov, entering the open door, which he had found by feeling in the dark. The orderly had gone in before him and began walk, waking somebody. Your honour, your honour, a courier. What, what's that? From whom? came a sleepy voice. From Dokturov and from Alexei Petrovich. Napoleon is at Forminsk, said Bolkotinov, unable to see in the dark who was speaking, but guessing by the voice that it was not. Konovitsin. God, I can't say the names in this chapter. Konovitsin. The man who had wakened yawned and stretched himself. I don't like waking him, he said, fumbling for something. He is very ill. Perhaps this is only a rumour. Here is the dispatch, said Bolkovitinov. My orders are to give it at once to the general on duty. Wait a moment. I'll light a candle. You damned rascal. Where did you... Why, where do you always hide it? said the voice of the man who was stretching himself to the orderly. This was Sherbinin Konovnitsin's adjutant. I found it, I found it, he added. The orderly was striking a light and Sherbinin was fumbling for something on the candlestick. Oh, the nasty beasts, said he with disgust. By the light of the sparks, Bolkovitinov saw Sherbinin's youthful face as he held the candle, and the face of another man who was still asleep. This was Konovnitsin. When the flame of the sulphur splinters kindled by the tinder burned up, first blue and then red, Sherbinin, Sher, Sherbininin lit the tallow candle from the candlestick of which the cockroaches that had been gnawing it were running away, and looked at the messenger. Bolkotinov was spattered all over with mud and had smeared his face by wiping it with his sleeve. Who gave the report? inquired Sherbinin, taking the envelope. The news is reliable, said Bolkovitinov. Prisoners, Cossacks and the Scouts all say the same thing. There's nothing to be done. We'll have to wake him, said Sherbinin, rising and going up. Sherbinin. Sherbinin? rising and going up to the man in the nightcap who lay covered by a greatcoat. Peter Petrovich, said he. Konovnitsin did not stir. To the general staff, he said, with a smile, knowing that those words would be sure to arouse him. God, the names. It's like there's three new characters in this chapter, and they've all got the hardest names to read. One of them is B-O-L-K-H-O-V-I-T-I-N-O-V. Bolkhovitinov. Bolkhovitinov. And then this one is S-H-C-H. S-H... What noise does S-H-C-H make? Sushurbanin. Sush... And then E-R-B-I-N-I-N. E-R-B-I-N-I-N. S-H-C-H-E-R-B-I-N-I-N. Sushurbanin. 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 Anyway, that's a stupid name. And then the other one's Konovnitsin. K-O-N-O-V-N-I-T-S-Y-N. Doing my head in. Um, okay, where are we up to? And in fact, the head of the nightcap was lifted at once on Kovnitsin's handsome, resolute face with cheeks flushed by fever. There still remained for an instant a faraway, dreamy expression remote from the present affairs, but then he suddenly started. His face assumed its habitual calm and firm appearance. 
Well, what is it? From whom? he asked immediately without hurry, blinking at the light. While listening to the officer's report, Konevnitsyn broke the seal and read the dispatch. Hardly had he gone done so before he lowered his legs in their wooden stockings, woolen stockings, to the earthen floor, and began putting on his boots. Then he took off his nightcap, combed his hair over his temples, and donned his cap. Did you get here quickly? Let us go to his highness. Konobnitsyn had understood at once that the news brought was of great importance and that no time must be lost. He did not consider or ask himself whether the news was good or bad. That did not interest him. He regarded the whole business of the war, not with his intelligence or his reason, but by something else. There was something... Sorry, there was within him a deep, unexpressed conviction that all would be well, but that one must not trust to this and still less speak about it, but must only attend to one's own work, and he did his work, giving his whole strength to the task. Peter Petrovich Konovnitsyn, like Dokturov, seems to have been included merely for propriety's sake in the list of the so-called heroes of 1812, the Barclays, Rayevskys, Ermolovs, Platovs, and Milorodoviches, like Dokturov, he had the reputation of being a man of very limited capacity and information, and like Dokturov, he never made plans of battle, but was always found where the situation was most difficult. Since his appointment as general on duty, he had always slept with his door open, giving orders that every messenger should be allowed to wake him up. In battle he was always under fire, so that Kutuzov reproved him, reproved him for it and feared to send him to the front. And like Dokturov, he was one of those unnoticed cogwheels that, without clatter or no- noise, constitute the most essential part of the machine. Coming out of the hut into the damp, dark night, Konovnitsyn frowned, partly from an increased pain in his head and partly at the unpleasant thought that occurred to him, of how all that nest of influential men on the staff would be stirred up by this news, especially Bennington, who ever since Turretino had been at daggers drawn with Kutuzov, and how they would make suggestions, quarrel, issue orders, and rescind them. And this premonition was disagreeable to him, though he knew it would not be helped. It could not be helped. And in fact, Toll, to whom he went to communicate the news, immediately began to expound his plans to a general sharing his quarters until Kononitsyn, who listened in weary silence, reminded him that they must go to see his highness. Alright, there was a chapter for you. Tied my brain in a knot and my tongue. But that's the chapter. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.